Hello, Colleen. Hello, Aaron. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, I think we left off with you were about to have your first Rails onboarding call uh, with good guy Ben. So how did that go? It went really well. We didn't actually get the chance to get refined in his app because, um, well, he didn't have his dev computer because it's like 100 degrees in the UK and everyone's melting. It's a whole thing. Um, so, uh, so I hope you all, everyone in the UK is doing better now. Also, um, we, everyone in Texas, please. It is 100 <laughs> degrees here. Oh, yeah. Don't have, forget about us. You have air conditioning. They don't have air conditioning. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're used to it. Right? Like, that's just Texas. <laughs> yeah, it is. Life in Texas. <laughs> so what happened if he didn't have his computer? So it was great. We did, like, a really big deep dive on, like, exactly what he needs. He show, He was able to show me, like, what they have now and the jQuery solution that they're using. And... um what they would like to replace that with. What was really great about this call is it forced me to figure out how to make this product easier to implement in a non-bullet train application. Mm -hmm. We're tightly coupled to bullet train right now, which is great. Like the bullet train integration is like amazing. It's super seamless. But right now to integrate it in a non-bullet train application, since we don't have all that helper stuff, I had to figure out like what's appropriate to take kind of like borrow from bullet train and what do we, what do we want to include and what do we not want to include? And it was a ton of work, but I made so much progress. Like sometimes it's funny because I almost rescheduled, I was on vacation and I almost rescheduled the meeting with Ben because I was like, there's no way I'm going to hit this Monday deadline. But sometimes I didn't reschedule it. And I'm so glad I didn't because, you know, I don't know how to hack your own psychology to get there. But sometimes an external deadline like that, like, man, I can execute at an extremely high level. Yeah, I saw I saw the commits flying through. It it felt like that was a forcing function for you. You were just I knew you were on vacation and I kept getting emails from GitHub. And I was like, what is she doing? (laughs) I mean, I really like, and I am not chronically a procrastinator at all. Like I, that's not my MO, but like, it is really nice to have that kind of forcing function that just really like, you just turn off all external distractions and you execute at such a high level and you can't do that all the time. Right. Like, right. Right. You know, you can't do that every week. I'm going to be honest the next week, like I, which was this week, like I did not, you know, work 12 hours a day and crush, crush life. I just had to like kind of recover and work normal days, but it was really good. Like I made so much progress and I feel like we're so close now to being able to put it in a non bullet train application and make the experience more seamless because the experience before was not seamless. Like you had to write your own stimulus controllers and you had to respond to all these JavaScript events. And it was like the first time I did it, I was like, yeah, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, no, this is terrible. So I've made it way easier. So now you just have to render. Now you can choose to overwrite what we provide, but you can just render my filter builder partial and it will just render the filter for you. It's really nice. So that's cool. Yep. That's the way it should be. Yeah. So I was really happy about that. Good. So what's the next step with him? So we're going to meet again next week or the following week to actually get it in his in his app. Okay. So that, cool. that's the next step. Yeah. So that'll be really good because he'll be our first non-bullet train customer and so we can sort out rough edges and such not whatnot yeah yeah that's great well um bummed that he didn't have his computer at the time but glad that we got so much done you know leading up to it and hopefully we can get it installed in the next week or two yeah yeah i'm excited about it so 
So I was on the Art of Product podcast. Yes, I heard that. My boss, Ben Ornstein. Um, we we've talked about it a little bit, but just high level thoughts. I think the main for those that haven't listened, it's Art of Product podcast. Um, I think it's artofproductpod.com. I don't know. You can find it. Use Google. Um, I think one of the main things that we circled around was business model, um, open source versus closed source versus consulting, support contracts. And you and I have talked about this a little bit. And I think we're on the same page in terms of like, what are we doing right now? But in terms of just kind of our whole discussion, what kind of thoughts did you have on it? I think there's a lot of different directions we can go with this company. I liked Ben's comment. I think he said, what kind of like, where do you want to be in three years? That feels like a manageable mm-hmm. time frame for me to think, what kind of business do you want to build? And I just think we, as we pick a path and we go down a path, we have to be really mindful because we already have a business. Like we're making money. I mean, right. We're yeah. essentially a consultancy mm-hmm. right now as a business. Yep. Like we could just totally. do this, what we're doing right now. So I think for us, the move is to really think about where, I mean, like where, what kind of business do we want to have in three years and what moves do we make now to enable us to get there? Do you know where you want to be in three years? I do not want to be a consultancy. Okay. What do you mean when you say consultancy? What we're doing right now. So what we're doing right now is we have contractors and we have clients and myself and my contractor work for the client and we bill through. I mean, that's, you know, um, that because to build a consultancy, you have to scale people. And I don't think that is my favorite thing. Um, and margins are low, right? We're trying to change our lives financially here. Yep. So to me, that's not the move. Um, he also, was it Ben that talked about hiring, like the high value consulting and hiring people to implement with different, like, yep. Yeah, different clients. Yeah, so we we talked a little bit about doing implementation contracts. Um, And, you know, in terms of where I want to be in three years, I don't want to be a consultancy. Like, I don't want to be managing a bunch of other developers who are implementing this stuff. I don't think I would mind quite so much implementing it myself, like getting paid a lot to implement this thing myself. But what I don't want is to have five people whose time we have to fill. Um, that sounds really stressful and like not something I'm interested in at all. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that's an interesting, that's a helpful thought experiment to think where do you want to be in three years? Because that's definitely not what I want to be doing is consulting, like consultancy. I don't like, I don't know. We talked a lot about the open source, closed source thing and the high value individual consulting engagements. I don't mind the idea of somebody pays us a bunch of money to come in and build out this feature, you know, in a week or two. And then they're on the, you know, the refined subscription plan from then on. Like that seems, that seems fine to me. I could do that over and over for probably a long time. Um, and then, of course, the open source part has always intrigued me. Um, and we're not there yet, but I do wonder if we'll get there at some point. Just because, same old story, like, developers want to play with it. They they want to play with it before before they buy anything. So Yeah, I have, like, 
a visceral negative reaction to the open source thing. I know. And I guess that's why we're a good balance because yeah. <laughs> we can have this conversation every week. You're like, let's yep. open source it. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah. And there is, there is a possibility where the Laravel one is open source model and the rails one is closed source model. And not only is that a fun experiment that might fit the communities better. Uh, you know, it might, I just, I, it doesn't feel right to me in the Rails community to open source it. It just doesn't. I kind I kind of agree. I mean, here's here's my um, here's my take on the communities. Said with all love in in my heart for both <laughs> communities, the Rails community seems more um, mature in terms of business operations. I would say it seems like there are more established businesses that are larger that are full of senior engineers that are willing to pay and not just for our thing, willing to pay for anything. And on the Laravel side, it seems like smaller businesses that aren't as established. And by that, I mean like not 10 years old, like many of the rails places are um, with less of a propensity to pay for things. That's just my, that's just my read on the, on the two different communities. So it's possible that the two different models would work well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, it's definitely something to keep in our back pocket. And as we talk to more people and integrate it at more applications, I'm open to continuing to discuss it, but I agree with you that it might just be that there should be different models for different communities. That might be the answer. Yeah. And that might be that different models fit you and I differently as well. Like it's possible that I would have a lot of fun doing the open source stuff where you would not. That right. is totally possible. That's certainly possible. Yeah. And that's important. All right. Let's talk about this for every every week from now on until <laughs> the end of time. Until the end of um, time. <laughs> I think you did want to talk about, um, was it Rails SaaS or you wanted to talk about yeah. use cases for something? I did. Okay. So this is the, the whole arc of this is I was talking to Andrew about what I'm going to talk about at Rails SaaS. Mm -hmm. And I had this talk planned out that was very kind of like personal journey ish. And he was like, mm. Mm. he was very nice about it, but he was like, nah, you should probably not do that. This is your opportunity. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you have this great idea. We're going to just can that next. Um, yeah. <laughs> so his point was, this is an opportunity. There aren't going to be a lot of people demoing like live coding. So this is an opportunity for you to demo refine. And that got me thinking about the demos I've been doing, mm -hmm. man. And I feel like no one has had an aha moment during a demo. Like I've done, I mean, I've done a handful. It's not like I've done hundreds, but everyone's like, oh, this is cool. But no one mm -hmm. is like, this is it. And I don't think it's because the product's not it. I think that my demo, like I'm not adequately communicating what we can do with Refine. I think it's my demo is not tight. Okay. So I want to talk about, because then you and I got on that call with um, someone, which oh, mm -hmm. uh, Software Social just came out today, but Michelle and I talked about this a little bit today. So you should listen. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I just got off, you know, we had that call with your friend and he was, you started talking about the way you used Refine at Resolute. And mm -hmm. he was like, oh, this is the stuff. Like this stuff is more interesting to me than filtering on an yep. index view. So let's talk, like, like, let's literally just make a list, cool things you could do in a demo that, or stuff that you did at Resolute that makes, that kind of more adequately describes what this product is. 
Yeah, okay. So I think the lame use case is the one that we've been pitching. That's the one we've been talking about, which is filter a list of records on an index view. Right. Which is uh, totally valuable, but not very thrilling, right? And that's the kind of thing that I think people look at and they're like, yeah, I mean, I could do something like that. Right. So lame, kind of useful, not really exciting. The things that the things that people seem to get excited about are when you start talking about taking this filter and making it portable and using it in other places, right? So we have this concept of stabilizing the filter and turning it into like this, you know, fully encapsulated, directly addressable ID. So once you have the user's intent fully portable, then you can take that anywhere. And so the places that you can take that are, you can use um, you can use filters to drive email segmentation, right? So let's say you're filtering on a index page full of contacts. And you say, I want to see all the contacts that have um, visited in the last seven days that have not converted, right? Mm-hmm. You can wrap that filter up and then save that, you know, save it as last seven days not converted and use that to drive email campaigns. And so how you do that is you save the filter, like you store it, you stabilize it, you store it, and then you you write like some application code that then takes that filter and every time, you know, you want to send an email or whatever, it takes that filter and rehydrates it, runs the query, and you get your list of contacts. So, okay, so let's think about this. So let's say, let's get even more specific. So I want to send an email every week in a background Mm -hmm. job to Mm -hmm. all of the contacts that have visited in the last seven days. So I go with what we have now, I go to my contacts index page, I visually Mm -hmm. build up the filter, I would save the filter with a name, let's say, Mm -hmm. that's easier for me, database stabilize, save the filter, and then mm-hmm. in my my job, I would have, okay, so at, I'd have like at refine filter. I'd have my filter, which returns to me a query. Mm-hmm. So Why? in the middle there. Yeah. So you, you save the, um, you save the filter as, you know, Colleen's favorite contacts, right? Right. And before you get to the background job, there's some application code where you go to like email campaigns slash new or slash create, right? Mm-hmm. And on the email campaigns page, you pick your segment, which is like Colleen's favorite contacts. I see. Okay. Which is just a, you know, a saved filter in the database. So you're creating a new, like, I don't know what you would call it, like a email campaign record, let's say. Right. And on the email campaign record, it has the filter that is just like a foreign key, has the filter that you want to send it to. It's got the subject, it's got the body and like the time of the week you want to send it, whatever. Okay. So then you, you hit save. Now you have a new record of like email campaign. Then your background job is running every, let's say Monday morning or whatever. Mm-hmm. It finds that email campaign record, mm-hmm. picks it up, finds the filter that it's attached to, mm-hmm. instantiates the filter, runs the query to get all the contacts and then sends the email to all of those contacts. And because the filter is um, live, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, relative, so it's like previous seven days from whenever the filter is run. That just runs like every week. It just 
is constantly updating. So you, in, in effect, you've created like a smart list, right? Yeah. So every time you run this query, whether in the background or on the UI, you're going to get new contacts because the day, the time is constantly changing. Time marches on. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. So I think like, this is the kind of stuff I need in my demo. So I think when I build out a demo, both for marketing and for real, I mean, you know, they're the same thing, marketing and real SaaS. Right. This is cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you've talked about Rails devs. This might be something to shove into Rails devs and do this as your demo. Problem with Rails devs, devs is it's open source. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't think that's a problem because as far as I understand it, so on our side, that wouldn't, on, on the Laravel side, that wouldn't be a problem because the package itself is not included in the Git repo. Like it's included in the gemlock file or the composer.json file, but when it's deployed to wherever Rails devs lives, then it pulls down the gem out there. Like are all, I don't surely know. not the source code of every gem is included in the GitHub repository. That would surprise me. So like on my side, what I'm doing for the demo is I am referencing our private package server and so the GitHub repository contains none, none of our like closed source code. It just hmm. contains the pointer to the place to get it. And then when I deploy it to the server, that server pulls down all of our closed source code. I don't know. I mean, I've always been able to open gems, but I don't know that I've ever looked into this. So I don't know the answer to that. I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, look into that because that would be a cool. Um, that would be a cool demo because like. Driving emails, that's a great one. It's so relevant. Like, I yeah, I want, you know, developers where their you know, their range is this and their country is this and send me an email every Monday morning of, you know, new people that meet that criteria. Okay, I love that. That's great. Okay, so that's definitely included. What else what else it's cool? What else do people get excited about? Um Saving filters. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you broke up. Say it again. Uh bookmarking filters. So if I Book Yeah. Like, Bookmarking filters someone. is great. That's yeah, so you can, you know, the whole concept of like stabilizing the filter is so that you can come back to it and it's still there. Well, like, like it's, something it's I, stable. It just occurred to me still using Rails devs because I we're looking to hire a Rails dev, so I was on there. Um, mm -hmm. But every time if I have to go through and filter like available, wants to be part time, blah blah blah, it's yep. annoying. It's annoying. Okay. So you, yeah build up the filter and either, um, you know, shove it in the URL and you can bookmark the URL or offer the ability to like in your app level code, offer the ability to save it with a name and come back and, and check on it. And that, that's get That gets into like, you know, that gets almost into like reporting. Um, and it, and it kind of, actually, this is a good email use case too. You save it as a filter and anytime a new person comes onto oh, that filter, you good. can offer an email, right? You can say, hey, this person just met the criteria for stimulus reflex or whatever your criteria is. And so I'm going to fire off an email so that you know about it immediately. Um, okay. So anytime a new person, so you'd have to keep a list though of the people that meet the filter to do a compare. Correct. Yeah. So you would need, again, some app code right. that would, um, and what, what we did at Resolute is we just stored the primary keys of the previous run and compared it to the new run. So like we would run hours, we would run hours every, I think 15 minutes and 
so you'd get a whole list of primary keys and then see are there any new primary keys that weren't there last time and if so you need to alert somebody okay did you save the primary keys in the database so you could either do that in an intermediate table that's right. strictly for primary key comparison like that and be super fast. We shoved ours in a JSON blob because the max keys that could fit a f- that could um, be in a filter were like I don't know five thousand or something. So it really wasn't it wasn't too painful. But if you know for rail SAS that would be totally fine. For something where you have like a hundred thousand, you'd probably want to put that into a proper table. Okay. That's good. All right, what else? Um, so, yeah. So, on, on that same topic of, like, comparing a previous run to a current run of a filter, you could use that to generate notifications. If we're going to stick with Rails devs, let's do that. So, you could do use that to generate... Um, we, we used it to generate to-dos. So, we had the concept of, like... Um, properties, which is like actually physical um, houses, you know, it's an overloaded term, but we had the the concept of properties. And anytime a property met the criteria of one of the filters, um, we would open a to-do for one of the property agents to address it, right? So if we had a property in Dallas that was worth over $300,000 and the homeowner had submitted some sort of like backup evidence, like pictures or quotes or anything like that. Anytime a property met that criteria, it opened a to-do for the agent to review the evidence that the homeowner had submitted. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so it was like totally um, management by computer, right? right? Because you have this business process of we need – agents we need licensed agents to review evidence so that we don't screw up the the tax hearing right okay yep and so instead of just making sure the agents are on top of it we would build these filters and the system would open to-dos and the agent could not close the to-do it was impossible to close the to-do the only way to close the to-do was for it to no longer be in that filter oh that's cool yeah, so it was like you can't close this to do because it's not to done yet. Once you mark <laughs> like once you mark the evidence as either approved or disapproved, like once you've done the job that I'm trying to get you to do, the to do will close itself oh, and you man. don't have to worry about That's it. That's so cool. We got to figure out a way to make that work. Yeah. Yeah, it was really helpful cuz we had these templates where we could like create a new to-do generator and the way that you would create it is you would like drop the filter stable ID in. And that was like, that was it. And so we had some, we had some where it was like, you need to go review, you need to go review this contact because there are parentheses in the name. And oftentimes what our customer service people would do is they would put parentheses in the name to indicate pronunciation notes. Right. Ah, Sure problem with that is that's public like that goes out to the client we send physical letters to the client and you don't want you know in parentheses to say this guy's a real jerk right right so anytime a contact met a filter condition where there were parentheses in the name it opened it to do assigned it to one of the customer service people and said there are parentheses in this name you need to remove it and put that in the pronunciation notes field and that's so it was like best best practices enforced by computer. And it was oh, awesome. That's cool. We've got to think of a way to like a use case for that. For 
for the, that's cool. Yeah. So like maybe on, you know, maybe for Joe rails devs on the back end, he can have that, that sort of thing. Like he's got a queue of, I don't know, new rails devs that haven't been approved or, you know, whatever, some, some filter he wants to build out and it just, it just throws him into a queue and he does, he does the job. And once the job is done, they no longer meet that filter criteria and they fall out and it's off of his dashboard or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. That's definitely worth playing with figuring that out. Yeah. Let's see what else. Um, we used it to drive what we called work lists, which are basically like spreadsheets. Um, and this one's a little, this one's a little esoteric and would be hard to do, I think in a demo, but Anytime a model met a filter, um, it got added to a spreadsheet that we had an internal spreadsheet implementation. It got added to a spreadsheet for an agent to look at. So agents would keep these spreadsheets internally that were like um, Dallas residential properties. And so anytime a new person, a new client signed up with a residential property in Dallas, a new row would be added to that spreadsheet so that the agent would work their property in front of the county, right? Okay. And anytime anytime a client canceled, we would um, functionally remove the row. We would gray it out and strike it through so that the agent knew when they got to that property, like, Tell the county we're not their agent anymore. Skip it. Don't waste your time. We're not going to get paid. Okay. Right. So this was another one where the agents could build out like, okay, well, I'm the agent responsible for Dallas residential under 200. I'm Dallas residential over 200. Um, They could build out their own custom ones. It was like, I want to see Dallas residential with evidence and without evidence. And so each agent could build out their own work list, however they wanted. And then the system would keep it up to date with any properties that met that criteria. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, I think, I think the, I think the smart list thing is something that we haven't like talked about at all right Um, that feels strong to me that feels like a strong place to start talking more about that and get a demo of that up yeah totally you can also use it to like drive you know charts and graphs or whatever on the dashboard um i know and so you you create a filter you save it as you know colleen's valued visitors or whatever and then in your app code you have just like a chart js or whatever thing and you can switch between, all right, I want to see the graph of this filter. And it shows you, you know, this filter over time. Um, or, the, you know, the the sum or the count or pie chart, whatever you want to do. And it, it, like, gives the users the ultimate power instead of just being stuck with whatever the product team has allowed you to do. Yeah, I like this idea a lot, Aaron. I think... The reason I like it a lot is I have a theory that Rails developers don't like front end. And so as a, when we talk about engineering as marketing, um, this to me feels very enticing to have some kind of mm-hmm. like chart JS implementation that you drop in and then you can select your filters and then everyone can get a custom dashboard. So this one I like a lot. I don't know if I can get it done with everything else going on by October 4th or whatever, but it would be yeah. pretty, it'd be pretty awesome. I'm excited now. This is great. Yeah, a lot of good use cases, right? Yeah. You know, after your talk with Ben, I was kind of not super excited. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But I'm excited now. Like, going through this, it's like, yes, and I can do this. Like, this is good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel that. 
I've I've been feeling like a little bummed too. There's just so somehow there's just still so much to do and I don't understand it. <laughs> um, I think what's I'm been, trying. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say, well, I think what's been frustrating to me is I, I haven't had those aha moments with people yet. Like people are like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is cool. But no one has been like, this is it. Right. So. Do you feel like when we were on that, that Laravel call with um, Kevin, you felt like that was different. He, once he finally understood it, it was an aha moment. I felt like we were approaching it. I think that the step is from that to like, once we're able to show him, like here is our Mm -hmm. demo app and this is how you do it. Cause I think some of the hesitation I'm getting from people who have even already purchased refine is they're worried that it's going to take a lot of time to put it in their app sure, and pull out what they already have. So it has to be so good that you're willing to pull out what you have and put it in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a super valid concern. But going through this with you, like, I feel like, at least for the Rails developers, right, I can only speak to my community. And, like, filtering on an index view, like, it is hard. It is, but we have a lot of open source tools that kind of sort of do sure, okay. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're good. You and Ben were talking about this. Like, they're good enough. You can dump it to Excel yeah. if you need something, do some pivot tables. It's not... It's just not enough. It doesn't feel powerful enough. So talking about like these driving emails, to me, that seems, I mean, I've been doing a ton of emailing with simple file upload um, mm-hmm. and like email sequences is tremendously painful. <laughs> yep. so, so to me, this feels really powerful. Like if I could just, oh man, the filtering I'm trying to do on that, on that app and the email segmentation, it's like such a pain. This feels yep. really powerful to me. Like this feels like, this might be it. Like this is something that's really going to be move people. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is a different scale, but this is the kind of thing that like Redfin and Zillow provide. Yeah. You build up, you draw a circle, you put in your, you know, what kind of house you want, how much you want to pay. And then they send you an email either every time a new property pops on or like once a week or whatever. And so there is some way that I think we can communicate this can open up a lot of feature possibilities for you that can be differentiating. Whereas like filtering on a index view is not like that doesn't set your app apart. Right. So whatever, whatever we can communicate that like, no, this, this is going to enable you to build features that do set that like actually set your app apart. I feel like that's more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to do, we just have to, do it all. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was telling somebody this the other day with like, we, we still like, we still have other things we have to do. Like you're working basically full time at the client. Yeah. Got half a job with tuple and trying to, you know, do consulting on to make up the other half. And it's like, yeah, it would like all of these things that everyone is telling us to do are great ideas. <laughs> Just I, know. Don't, I don't know how to do it all. Yeah, it, it is such a challenge. Yeah, it's such a challenge. I've also I've been listening to How to Take Over the World, is that which a is a podcast. Yeah, sounds like one I'd like. And I'm, it's great, and I'm listening to like you know Alexander the Great, uh, Julius Caesar, Thomas Edison, and this is gonna sound so stupid, but I'm like, God, I gotta be moving faster. I gotta be doing more. Like, <laughs> I'm just dorking around. What the hell is going on here? So that probably doesn't help. That no, that probably I'm listening, I'm listening to like Alexander the Great conquer the world at 20 and then die <laughs> at 32. And I'm like, oh no, I'm 33. 
Yeah, I don't think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, super healthy, probably. Super healthy. Anything else? That's all I got. All right, on that on that uh, morbid note, I'll leave it there. I'll talk to you soon. 